Welcome. My name is Dr. Jonathan Vorse, and thank you for downloading our podcast today on Working the Word. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive new podcasts every week. Thank you for your support at jvorse.org and enjoy the message today. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not into your own understanding, and all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Lord, we thank You that Your blessing is already upon Your Word. I pray that You would bless the proclamation of it today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Many people this week have been consumed with watching and preparing for Hurricane Dorian. And then, last night, there was a shooting in Texas. And it seems like every couple of weeks now, when we turn on the news, we see things like this. And so, this week, as I was talking with the Lord about what I should share with you in the 9 o'clock service today, it's like the Lord spoke to me and He said, I want you to talk to them about trusting me and being, in, being at peace. And so as I was putting this together, the posture of faith is what came up in my spirit. And so um, I was reminded when I was putting this together of when Jesus stood in the bow of, of the ship and he spoke to the storm. The disciples were very distraught. They were worried because this storm was bearing down and many of them had been fishermen and they knew what it was like to be out in the middle of that sea when a big storm came along and they knew the danger that was involved. But Jesus stood in the bow of that ship and cried, Peace be still, and there was a great calm. So I began to talk to the Lord. I said, Lord, I said, there are storm clouds in many people's lives. There are storm clouds all around us, not just physical storms like Hurricane Dorian, but how many of you have experienced a relationship hurricane or a financial hurricane or some kind of a hurricane like that in your life? We've all experienced that, haven't we? And so I was talking with the Lord about this, and the Lord just spoke to me, and He said, it's very simple, just tell them to trust me. To trust me in the good times, to trust me in the bad times, to trust me in the very difficult times. This week, uh, I posted a little thing on one of our social media pages that says, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. How many of you remember the gentleman that stands up here on the corner sometimes all dressed up and holds those signs and all of that. Well, uh, it might shock you to know that he's become a friend of mine. But anyways, he's a friend of mine. So he put a little note on there and he said, well, what about 2 Timothy chapter 3 where the Bible said in the last days perilous times shall come. And so I just communicated back with him. I said, it's very important to pay attention to scriptural context in our study of the scripture. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, when it says perilous times shall come, it begins throughout the, the balance of that chapter pretty much to explain the definition of what God meant when he said perilous times. Men will be lovers of them, their own selves, covetous, boasters, disobedient to parents, proud, blasphemers, all, all of these types of things. And so there's all kinds of things listed there in perilous times. And so I shared with him that that's speaking of a godless society. It's not speaking of hurricanes and hurricanes and earthquakes and volcanoes and earth events. That's not what it's talking about. So perilous times. So it's important for us. I think it's important for all of us 
to pay attention to the context of the Scriptures when we are teaching the Scriptures, when we're reading the Scriptures, especially when we're in the process of having conversation and trying to interpret or explain Scripture to people who are not as familiar with Scripture as we are. So when you're studying your Bible, you need to make sure that you study the context of the Scripture. So what does it mean to study the context of the Scripture? Well, you learn the context when you read the Scriptures before the Scripture that you're, that's in question, and you read the Scriptures after the Scripture that's in question. And then you begin to study the culture of that time. You begin to study what was going on politically. You begin to study what was going on economically. You begin to study what was going on in the culture around that. And sometimes if you, if you do the Hebrew and the Greek word studies of that scripture, because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek, and, and it was translated into Latin first, and then later on it was translated into English. Some people think that the King James Version is the only way to go. The King James Version is a translation from a translation. It was translated by King James in 1612. It's a translation from a translation. And so we go back sometimes to the Hebrew and sometimes we go back to the Greek and we study how it was originally written and we can get a sense of the context of it. So I want to read Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 in context. Because I want us to make sure that we get the full meaty meaning, if you will, of this passage of Scripture. We see here, chapter 3, verse 1, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. First of all, God is speaking to Solomon, and he calls him son. He says, My son, forget not my, my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Why did, he, why did he just not tell him just keep my commandments? Why did he say let my, thine heart keep my commandments? The reason he said that is because out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh, speaketh and whatever is in your heart will come out of your mouth, it will come out of your actions, it will come out of the decisions that you make. It, the, what's in your heart may, has a way of making its way into your head. And what's in your head has a way of manifesting itself outside of your body. So if our heart keeps the commandments of God, then the end result is we're all keeping the commandments of God. Our mind and our will and our emotions, which is what the soul is, is keeping the commandments of God. So my son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. So if I keep the commandments of God, then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, invades my heart, and it invades my life, and under the command of God, it adds long life and peace to me. Then verse number 3, it said, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. And so shalt thou find favor and good and understanding in the sight of God and man. Many times I pray and I say, God, give me favor with God and man. Sometimes when I'm going into meetings for the college, I'll say, God, give me favor with God and man. Sometimes as the president of the college, when I go into a meeting, some people are like, whoa, and other people are like, I don't know about, you know, because, because some people are afraid of the position. Some people are like, wow, the president, it just, it's, it's just nuts. And so I'll just say, Lord, give me favor with God and man. 
Let me make the right choices. Let me make the right decisions. When it comes to the church, I've prayed, this being the fourth church we've pastored over 25 or 30 years, I said, Lord, just give me wisdom when it comes to talking with people in the church. Give me wisdom in the dissemination of information, which is the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give us wisdom in the decisions that we have to make. Lord, open our eyes that we can see things that would derail us, things that would hurt us, things that would cause harm to your work. God, give us the, give us the sight to see and the heart to sense the things that would be pleasing to you. And so we ask God. And in the process of that, I have to embrace mercy. The Bible says, let not mercy and truth forsake you. When you are a leader, you have to embrace mercy. You say, well, why are you saying that? Because, sir, you are the leader of your home. Ma'am, you are the nurturer of your home. You are a leader to your children. You have to embrace mercy. You have to embrace mercy and truth. Betrayal causes you to want not to not want to embrace mercy. People that try to create division between you and your children cause you to not want to embrace mercy. Things that happen all through, the, all through our lives many times cause us to not want to embrace mercy. But the Bible says that we are supposed to embrace mercy and truth and don't let them forsake us and bind them around our neck and write them on the table of our heart. And when we walk in mercy and when we walk in truth according to the word of God, we find not just favor, but the Bible says we find good understanding in the sight of God and in the sight of man. God will help you understand what's going on. God will help you understand the, to make the right decision so you can make the right decision. So we can find favor and we can find understanding if we embrace mercy and we embrace truth. And so that becomes a part of our lives. And so then the Bible goes on in verse number 5 and says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all of thine heart. Trust in the Lord with all of thine heart. The heart that you let mercy and truth be written upon. The heart that you have received good understanding in and that you have received favor in because you have given yourself to mercy and truth. That's what the Word of God says. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Why would I be satisfied with my own understanding if I can have good godly understanding? Because the Bible said in the verse before that, that if we embrace mercy and we embrace truth, that not only do we have favor from God, but we have good understanding. So that's why the Bible said, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Trust Him when you don't feel like showing mercy. Trust Him when you don't feel like embracing truth. Trust Him when there's things that's happening around you and your flesh wants to fight back and you want to stand up and say, bless God, ain't nobody going to teach me like, ain't nobody going to treat me like this. Trust God and believe God during those times. Trust Him. And believe in Him. And then the Bible said, lean not to your own understanding. Your own understanding is tied to your flesh. God's good understanding is tied to the Spirit. Are you getting that? And so if I'm going to be a disciple, which is a fully developed, a fully developing body a, a, a follower of Jesus Christ, then I'm going to be tied to mercy. I'm going to be tied to truth. 
I'm going to be tied to good understanding and have favor. So I'm not going to just rely on my own understanding. Now, here's another way to put this. You ready for this? I love this. This is another way to put it. Quit trying to figure things out by yourself. Because listen, God can see farther than you'll ever see. He can see longer than you'll ever see. He can understand broader than you'll ever see. So give yourself to godly wisdom. Give yourself to godly understanding and live in the favor of the Lord. Verse number 6, the Bible said, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. And then verse number 7, it goes on, and it's like God is just drilling down on this. because You know why? Because we get in our own way. Don't we? We get in our own way. He said, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil, and it will be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. Verse 9, Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase, and so shall your barns be filled with plenty, and your presses shall burst out with new wine. So right after he's telling us to have good understanding, right after he's telling us to embrace mercy and truth, right after he's telling us in all of our ways we're to acknowledge God and he will direct our paths, right after he's telling us not to be wise in our own eyes, then he tells us, give good. Give good. That's what he says. You might not understand why God encourages us to do that. You might not understand why, but listen, we, we, we don't have to understand. We just need to trust God. We need to believe God. We need to bind ourselves to mercy. We need to bind ourselves to the truth of God's Word. So the posture of faith, first of all, is that I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to bind myself to mercy. I'm going to bind myself to understanding, to good understanding, to truth. I'm going to have good understanding. I'm going to live in God's favor. I'm not going to let myself get in my own way. I'm going to do what God says do, when God says do it, how God says do it. And as the result of that, I'm going to have what God says I can have. Not only am I going to have what God says I can have, but I'm going to be what God says that I can be. Isn't that great? Isn't that good? Isn't that wonderful? Man, that's a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. So I want to encourage you today to trust God. Trust Him. You might not understand the hurricane that's going on in your life. The hurricane that's going on in your relationships. The hurricane that's going on in your finances. The hurricane that's going on at your workplace. The hurricane that's going on all around you. You may not understand that. But trust God. Just trust God. And quit trying to understand it on your own. Bind yourself to mercy and truth. Get God's good understanding and experience God's favor. So the first part of the posture of faith is to just trust God. The second thing is that we need to be at peace. Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 through 7 says this. It says, be careful for nothing, but in everything. Somebody shout everything. Come on. But everything, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, peace means nothing missing and nothing broken. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Christ. 
So what does it mean when the Bible said to be careful for nothing? It means that we're not supposed to be anxious. Another translation says to be anxious for nothing. Sometimes the, the battle that I face when it comes to anxiety is I work and I work and I work and I work and I want to see the results of my work a whole lot quicker than what they come. And so I get anxious sometimes. And I'm thinking, man, I'm working and I'm working and I'm working and I'm working. Is this ever going to happen? Is it ever going to happen? And then, and then when those thoughts start coming in, then I just start casting down those imaginations. The Bible said, cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So I bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I discipline my flesh to embrace what the Word of God says and I receive things by faith in my spirit that later can be manifested in the flesh because I'm going to stay the course and I'm not going to let anxiety de derail me. The Bible said that when we pray, we shall receive. That word shall means it's a process of time. And so when the Bible said to be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, then the Bible said prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, and when you're saying with thanksgiving, then you're saying with thanksgiving because you're praying because you know it's coming. You're already beginning to thank God for something that you can't see in the natural. But you prayed in faith and you received it in the Spirit. And so now, instead of being at a place of petition, now you're at a place of reception. And you're praying and you're thanking God. And you say, well, I just don't understand that. Well, the Bible said that we're not supposed to be hindered by our own understanding. We just do what God's Word says do, and we have what God's Word says we can have. If we don't do what God's Word says to do, then we can't have what God's Word says that we can have. So the Word of God says to be anxious for nothing. And the peace of God, nothing missing and nothing broken, which passeth all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. When I quit trying to figure God out, the result of that is peace in my daily walk. When we quit trying to figure God out, God, why are you doing this? God, why are you doing that? God, I just don't understand. It's not for us to know the times and the seasons and the days and the years. It's not for us to always know the answer to those questions. Why would the just live by faith if we always had all of the answers? Sometimes we just have to trust God. It would shock some of you if God took the veil of your future off of your eyes. It would. It would shock you. So... If I'm not supposed to be anxious, if I'm not supposed to have fear, then how do I conquer fear? So I've got three weapons against fear that I want to share with you here today. Are you ready? James chapter 5 and verse 16 says this. It says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Prayer will help you conquer fear. Prayer will help you conquer fear. I found out through the years that if anxiety tries to come, I just spend time with God. And I'm not talking, I mean, I'm with, you know, we, we all try to spend time with God all day long, every day. But you understand what I'm saying. I just set some time aside and I just spend some time with God in prayer. Prayer is one part speaking and two parts listening. So when I 
speak to God through worship, when I speak to God through praise, when I use the model that we find in the scripture, what they call the Lord's Prayer, which is really Jesus teaching us how to pray. When we use the model, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, praise and worship. And we go on through that model. When I use that model through prayer, then I find out that fear begins to dissipate. Because the more that you pray, the closer you get to God, and the more connected you are to God, and the closer I get to God, and the more connected that I am with God, then the closer I get, then, then my faith begins to rise, and my faith begins to build, and the fear just dissipates. Fear's like a hurricane. Fear gets into your life, and it creates anxiety. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Your bankruptcy's coming, your sickness is coming, death is coming, it's coming. It's coming. Your daddy had it, your grandpa had it, your great-grandpa had it, you're going to have it. It's like a hurricane, it's like out there. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. What you got to do is you got to just say, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. By his stripes I was healed. I receive it, Lord, I receive No weapon formed against me will prosper. And every tongue that rises against me in judgment, we, he will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousnesses of me say, I, I'm not going to receive that just because it was genetically there. I've been regened. I've given my life to Jesus. I've received regeneration through the Spirit. I'm not receiving that. I'm not receiving it. And so you pray and closer you get to God, the more your faith rises and the more the fear begins to dissipate out of your life. So prayer helps you conquer fear. The second thing that will help you conquer fear is worship. Worship. Are you hearing me? Worship, worship, worship. We've been trying to get y'all to worship more around here. Sunday mornings, everybody just kind of stands there and sings a song. We're trying to get you to worship. Worship means engaging with your Creator. Worship means connecting with God. That's what it means. That's what it means. And so worship will cause fear to dissipate out of your life. The Bible said in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 26, that at midnight Paul and Silas were, were praying and singing hymns to the Lord, and prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. That's what the scriptures say. How did that happen? It happened through worship. Listen to me. Paul and Silas started worshiping God while their hands and feet we're still in stocks and bonds. Paul and Silas started worshiping God while they were in a very filthy, dirty part of the prison. They were in the inner prison. Prisons back then are not like prisons today. There wasn't anything that had anything to do with personal hygiene in those prisons back then. And in the midst of all of that gunk, that was around them because they were in the inner prison with their feet and their hands in stocks and bonds and very possibly their back open from being beat for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ at midnight at the darkest part when they were going into the darkest part of the night. The Bible said that they sang psalms and hymns and praises to the Lord. What was the result of it? An earthquake. An earthquake. You want God to shake up that situation in your life? 
You want things to be broken off your life? You want shackles to fall? You want things that's held you back to be broken? You want bondages to be broken over your life? Begin to worship God. Worship Him in the bad times. Worship Him in the good times. Worship Him in the mediocre times, in the in-between times. Just live a lifestyle of worship. And if we live a lifestyle of worship, then God will come breaking through for us every single time. You say, well, how do I worship? Well, we'll do a series on that here before long. It's one of the series that, it's one of the uh, courses that we teach in the Bible College. And I'll take you uh, through some of the words that have to do with worship. But did you know that one of the words for worship is literally to jump up in the air and twirl around? It's called Hallel. You jump up in the air and you just twirl around. That's worship. That's worship. There's other, there's other things that go along with worship like shouting and like dancing and like clapping and like worshiping and like praising God. A lot of people come to this church and they say, I thought that was a Pentecostal church. I said, we are. At least I am. I believe in the move of the Spirit. I believe in speaking with other tongues. I believe in miracles. I believe in the manifestations of the Spirit. And I believe in outward expressions of praise and worship to the Lord. Sometimes you just got to shout your way through. Sometimes you just got to praise your way through. Sometimes you just got to say, Lord, I'm going to cut the rug right here when there's not even a rug. I'm just going to go ahead and worship you. And I'm going to praise you no matter what happens. I'm going to just continue to worship you. Devil, get under my feet. Oh, he's under my feet. Oh, praise God. I'm going to just worship and praise God. That's what you got to do. You can tell I don't have any rhythm. But that's what you got to do. You got to praise your way through. You got to worship your way through. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Clap your hands, O ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Make sure you don't get like David's wife. Don't let the spirit of David's wife get on you. When the ark was coming back into the camp, the Bible said that David stripped down, and he stripped down to his underclothes. I'm just going to believe that. Okay, the Bible said he stripped down. And he was dancing as the king of Israel before the ark as it was coming down the road. And his wife looked down from a window, and later on she said, How did that, how did the king of Israel make a fool of himself in front of the nation today? And because of that, God struck her barren. That's the scripture. That's the scripture. If we don't worship and if we don't praise, it stops us from being able to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. We have to worship. We have to praise. We have to magnify Him. And so when we worship God and when we praise God and when we magnify God and we worship our way through, then it breaks the power of Satan's hold over our life. The third thing that we can do to overcome fear is get ourselves addicted to the Word of God. Do we have anybody in here that will be honest and say, I'm addicted to coffee, I'm raising my hand. Anybody? Anybody else? Okay, here, here we go. I want to give you guys a challenge for this week. Are you ready? Are you ready for this challenge? <laughs> Look at Sean, he's got a cup of coffee in his hand and he's sitting down. Hey, praise God, God's speaking to Sean right now. Starting today, here's the challenge. For every cup of coffee that you drink every day, you read one chapter in the Word of God. 
Can I challenge that? I want to challenge you. Get the word in you. Susie, you're going to be so full of the word by next Sunday. You're going to, yeah. Whoa, praise God. That's awesome. I said cup. Cup's eight ounce. I'll leave that between you and God. The word of God. Why do we do that? Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit. It divides your soul and your spirit. The soul is the seat of your mind and your will and your emotions and it's tied to the fleshly side of life. The spirit is what's tied to God. And so the Word of God divides our mind and our will and our emotion from our spiritual life. Whatever we allow to happen in our mind and our will and emotions can cause our spiritual life to shrink. Whatever we allow to happen in our spirit, if we build one another up in the most holy faith, whatever we allow to happen in the spirit... That itself can create such a a reaction inside of our mind and our will and our emotions that our flesh surrenders to the power of the Spirit-led life. So, I think it's important to live Spirit-led. The the Word of God is sharp and powerful and quicker than a two-edged sword. Uh, The Bible said, uh, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit. And then it says this, and of the joints in the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. If you want God to help you examine your thoughts and the intents of your heart, get in the Word of God. The Word of God shines the light, not just on our path, but on our life. And so when I allow the Word of God to have that kind of influence over my life, then it causes me to grow. It causes me to grow in God. And you know what? The beautiful thing about the Word of God, I've been serving God all my life. I've got one of those unique testimonies. I actually met a man this week for the first time. I met a man who started preaching before I did. He started at 7. I started at 8. And he has 11 churches, well, 12 churches, and many churches overseas. And he's talking to us about, he said, I just want to bring all of this in uh, as, as extension campuses. Wonderful man. He's around my age. I just, I told him later, I said, you're the only person I've ever met that started preaching as a little boy, like I did. And it's just so wonderful to see what the Lord is doing. But the point that I'm trying to make here is this. The, the, the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. It'll shine the light on our heart. So we have to be anxious for nothing. We have to be in peace. Be at peace. Be anxious for nothing. How do I stay at peace? I stay in prayer. I stay in the Word. I live a lifestyle of worship. I trust God. I believe God. Well, how is that possible? We don't have time to break into all of this because I'm going to go too long if I do, but we don't have time to break into all this, but we can trust God because He's our provider. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Like I said, we need to study that in context. That verse starts out with the word but. It does. It starts out with that word. You've got to go all the way back to verse 15 to find out why God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ. You know why He will? 
Do you know why Paul told the Philippian church that God would supply all of their needs according to the riches and glory? You know why? He said, because when I went to Macedonia, no one communicated with me concerning giving and receiving except you and you only. He said, then later when I went to Thessalonica, he said, you were there and you gave so much to me. He said, that I am full and I abound. He said, but my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Having a heart for missions and having a heart for world evangelism and having a heart for the propagation of the gospel around the world is tied to your financial success according to the scripture. That's what it's tied to. My God will supply. So God's our provider. And just let me uh, throw a mind bender to you. Some of you that are theologians, somebody, some people say, well, J the Bible said that God is Jehovah Jireh. That means Jehovah Jireh, the God of our provider. Did you know that Jehovah Jireh is not a person, that Jehovah Jireh is a place? Did you know that? Did you know that? When Abraham was offering Isaac on the altar and God provided a lamb, when he left, he said, I will turn and call this place Jehovah Jireh. There is a place where God's provision is there for you. There is a place of God's favor. There is a place of God's blessing in your heart. There are people that you need to be connected to. There are thought processes that you need to be connected to. There are word churches that you need to be connected to. There are places that you need to be physically and spiritually in order for the supernatural blessing of God to come into your heart and to come into your life. It's not just tithe and offering. You have to be in the right place. I don't want to embarrass y'all. I'm going to give a little testimony. When Steve and Rita first started coming around here, they didn't have enough money to pay attention. They didn't. Now they're in beautiful cars, own their own home, and every week he's paying 250 bucks a week to learn how to fly airplanes. You don't do that if you're broker than a $2 bill. God has moved them into a much better place. Why? Because they tied themselves to the Word of God. They tied themselves to a vision. They made an investment in what God was doing. We have to do that. We have to walk together. We have to flow in unity. We have to trust God. We have to believe God. Now, nobody go to them and ask them for a loan. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. <laughs> So God's my provider. Why do I trust God? Why am I at peace when God's involved in my life? Because He's my healer. Psalms 147 and verse number 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and He binds up their wounds. Why do I trust God? Because He's my banner. He's my protector. A banner is a symbol, a royal standard and a symbol of identity. Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse number 40, when it's speaking allegorically, of the bridegroom uh, and, and over his bride. The bride says, speaking of Christ and the church, when we look at it in typology and scripture, the bride says, my bridegroom's banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. When we live in the love of God, when we live under the love of God, then we are in God's protection. 
We're in God's protection. It always bothers me for people when they allow an offense to take them out of the place that God has assigned for them. Because I can see six months down the road, I can see a year down the road, two years down, I've seen it over and over and over again. Six months, a year down the road, two years down the road, they're looking around and they're floundering around and they're wondering what happened. They got out from underneath their protection of the Lord. His banner over us is love. Ironically, faith works by love. So if I stay in God's love, then I can stay in peace. And then the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 11 through 17, we don't have time to read that. I would if I had time, so I want you to write it down and read it later today if you can. You know, that's uh, not even one chapter from one of your cups of coffee. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through seven, the 17, the Bible says that God is our peace. God is our peace. So what's the posture of faith? The posture of faith is I'm going to trust God no matter what comes, no matter what goes. I'm going to believe Him. I'm going to stay in the Word. I'm going to live a lifestyle of worship. I, <laughs> I'm going to pray, communicate with God. And when I do all of that, then are you ready for this last word? A posture of faith? I'm just going to relax and let God be God. If God be for me, help me, church. Who be against me? If God be for me, who can be against me? Another place to say it is, is, or another way to say it is like this. I'm going to relax because the battle is not mine. It belongs to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. So I'm going to quit fighting battles that I should let God fight. I'm going to quit trying to understand through reason those things I can only receive through revelation. I'm going to just let God be God and I'm going to be His kid. Part of the body of Christ. He's the head of the church and we're all His body, members in particular. Each joint supplying one another, taking care of one another. That's what we are. We're the body of Christ. The body of Christ is carry out, carry out the purpose of Christ. The purpose of Christ is going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name will they cast out devils, speak with new tongues, tread on serpents and scorpions. If they drink any of that deadly thing, it won't hurt them. We won't get into, we don't handle snakes around here. We won't get into that. Okay. But that's the heartbeat of God. The heartbeat of God is that all, every single person on the face of the earth would come to the knowledge of Christ. For God so loved the world, what? That He gave His only begotten Son that who? Whosoever 
whosoever, that whosoever, that whosoever, even Charles, even Reuben, even my baby girl Nikki, even Bishop Johnson, whosoever, look at your neighbor say, you're a whosoever. Tell them, you're a whosoever. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting, everlasting. That's the heartbeat of God. The heartbeat of God is to snatch people from the flames of hell. The heartbeat of God is to help people live their life, enjoying the journey and experiencing the benefit of having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm not going to fear and I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to trust. I'm going to believe. No anxiety here. I'm going to relax. Let God be God. Look at your neighbor as you're standing and say, just relax and let God be God. Tell them that. Tell them that. Charles, Thank you for listening to Dr. Jonathan Vorse on Working the Word. We appreciate your love and support. Visit www.jvorse.org to give a gift today. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the rest of your day. Always remember, the Word will work if you work the Word. Be blessed.